people come to me when I'm selling my books at tables and some of them would be like telling me stories about how real my book is because they know about this attack by Bigfoot or, or, or whoever. And then there'll be other people who lean over and very quietly say to me, I don't believe in any of this stuff. <laughs> Welcome everyone to another episode of Beyond the Manuscript. I am your host, Cooper Anderson, and before we get into it, I just want to say that Beyond the Manuscript is now available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So if you like what I do here, please hit that like and subscribe button. It really helps out the channel. And okay, so now let's get into it. My guest today is an Ohio native who grew up on a steady diet of giant monster movies, comic books, and horror novels. He has worked as a reporter, radio DJ, writing instructor, podcast host, and a comedy club waiter. His first novel, the steampunk zombie alternative history adventure Odd Men Out, was a finalist for the Eric Hoffer Award for Excellence in Independent Publishing. His poetry collections include See No Evil, Say No Evil, and Underwater Fistfight. He is also the author of the urban fantasy novel Indelible Ink, the sci-fi novel The Shadow Beneath the Waves, and others. He is here today to talk about his new novel, Gone Where the Goblins Go. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Matt Betts. How are we doing today, Matt? I'm good. How about yourself? Pretty, yeah, pretty good. Very pretty good. You know, just, uh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coasting well on a I'm coasting on a week uh, week of uh, Thanksgiving leftovers, yes. and I'm slowly getting through those in my fridge. <laughs> at the moment yeah i think we finished most of ours i think we still have one or two things but i think i think we're pretty much done with those yeah <laughs> awesome good um all right so we are just gonna jump right into it sure. today uh so first things first to kick off the podcast uh tell us all about your latest book how did it come to be what was the initial idea how long did it take you to write it tell us the whole story behind well, the story i'm never very quick with things so it took me a while to write it it's uh, one of those things that took that was sort of a process over years, probably technically a decade, maybe more, where I had a little idea and it snowballed a little bit and a little bit more. So as I was doing other projects, I kept having that idea in my mind for this book, um, but I really didn't know what it was going to be about. It just was this little tiny snowball of the thing. And eventually it got big enough of an idea and I'd added enough onto that little initial idea that it became something that I had to say, okay, I got to stop and actually pay attention. Um, so it's a, a, a very strange story, uh, which most of my books are. It's sort of a sci-fi horror fantasy mix uh, about this woman who uh, her father moved to Japan uh, and she had to leave the military to help take care of him as he was in his uh, last years. And she really feels lost. And once he passes, uh, she's looking for ways to make money and decides that this uh, army job that she used to have a flying, uh, uh, again, it's in the future, flying these sort of shuttles uh, on missions is going to come in handy. And she gets hired by these people for sort of a weird, mysterious mission just to fly them into China, which at that point is, again, in the future. And some things have happened, gone down. And uh, so she's got to fly this group in to rescue a scientist. And as they say, mm -hmm. things go bad from there. Uh, and it was uh, it was a fun book to write. I loved it. I mean, I got to do all kinds of fun research into Japanese and Chinese mythology. I got to do uh, research into some of the aircraft they were ended up flying and uh, just all this really fun stuff. And what originally the basis of it was and how I pitched it to my uh, publisher 
was that it was uh, the Wizard of Oz meets Apocalypse Now. Mm. So yeah. it had sort of this war movie with this sort of journey of discovery for some of these characters. And I love that it turned out like that. But it was uh, it was a long road to go. <laughs> One thing I really love to ask a lot of authors here sure. is what got you into writing initially? Because usually there's some kind of focal point um, to get into writing itself. Well, um, you know, for, for me, my, my dad and my aunt and my grandfather were huge readers. Um, my, my brother uh, was a reader, uh, but more of sports stuff. He loved like all the details of sports. But, you know, my, my grandpa, my dad, my, my, my aunt would all read just about anything to get their hands on. And so that kind of rubbed off on me, the, the reading habit. And um, so it got to a point where I'm like, eh, I can do this. You know, this is this is easy. And <laughs> it was not easy, but I I took a leap into it. And it was, again, a long process where I wrote some things in high school and was like, eh, wrote some things in college. And I was writing, you know, genre stuff like like, you know, horror and sci fi. And I was supposed mm -hmm. to be writing for these classes. I was supposed to be writing more traditional. Or at least that's what the the uh, the the professors I had were looking for more mainstream uh, or even a little more lofty than I was writing, you know, they, they really wanted some Faulkner's and some other, you know, mm -hmm. classics, and they just weren't really having that sci-fi thing or that horror thing. So that discouraged me a little bit. And then later on, when I, I, I moved to Columbus long after I graduated, where uh, my I, my wife lives and, uh, you know, I moved to, to, to live with her, um, I, I joined a writing group mainly to meet people. And uh, I knew I had that idea for writing and I had a couple of story ideas and they really encouraged me. And we all just kind of learned the process together. And all of this was really, you know, in the ancient days when, you know, when I was a kid, there was no, you know, not the Internet. And you could you had to go to the library. And if you wanted to learn how to write, you had to take a book out. Uh, you couldn't just Google something and, and get that answer, get that idea. And so, you know, being a kid in a small town, it was kind of fun to to make these characters up and and to uh, like i said to, to write things that i knew my 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 family were reading so much that maybe they'd read something of mine at some point i think maybe not quite as lofty when i was that young but later on i was kind of interested in other people reading my work but when i was a kid i was ripping off scooby-doo that, that really <laughs> my first story my mom loves to trot out this story that she saved of mine and it was a uh, uh, writing and uh, uh, illustrations, and it was you read the story, and it's not a bad story, but it's a full on ripoff of Scooby Doo without the dog, you know? Yeah, you <laughs> just, can you have Scooby Doo without, without the dog, dog without the, yeah. the main hook? <laughs> but yeah, no, that was what it was. I mean, I just loved reading, and my family loved reading, it just made sense to write at some point. Also, it's very funny how when it comes to writing, especially when people first start off. Um, people just copy or try to copy like the styles of the writers they love the most. Cause I definitely did that. Um, when I was getting into the, the foray of, of fantasy writing of like, okay, this is my Neil Gaiman story. This is my Brandon Sanderson story. This is, um, a Terry Pratchett story that I was trying to make. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's how you start to learn anyway. You have to imitate the grades and then you discover your own voice later on. Absolutely. And I was the same way in college when I first started trying to write some more, but the one story that I really loved was definitely a Stephen King ripoff. It was mm. a... Uh, it was uh, a horror story that, you know, just could have been, you know, not could have been written by him, but, but could have been a ripoff of a ripoff of Stephen King. You know, it was, this is a, it was, this is a poor forgery, right, as the museum right, right. Uh, yes. curator would say. Yes. <laughs> this is the uh, $20 bill with 20 spelled wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, yeah. Spelled with all eyes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah awesome. exactly. 
Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so we both work here at Manuscripts together, and it's yeah. just from working with you over these last few months or so, um, you've kind of become our unofficial cryptozoologist. Right. And yeah, and so <laughs> I have two questions when it comes to this. Sure. Um, what what got you interested in cryptids in the first place? And do you have a favorite? Right, right. So if everyone's not positive, cryptids are these creatures out there that people believe in, but there's not really scientific basis to prove that they exist, but people believe they exist, such as Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and uh, and things like that. And I, I think what got me into that again was, you know, when I was young, I would go to the library and they had, I honestly don't remember the authors, but there were these uh, several authors that just put out basically, here's the, every story about Bigfoot anyone's ever told. And here's, you know, and they were just these compilations. And I just loved reading that scary stuff at that time. You know, it was kind of fun. But I also lived kind of in, uh, again, uh, sort of out in the country and literally three three of the sides of my house in one way or another were, were cornfields. And the other side was another person's house, but it was covered up by apple orchards. So, you know, any given time, it, it was very dark and very spooky there. You know, it was like, uh, so anything could come charging out of that uh, cornfield, according to my uh, imagination. So I, I guess taking out those books on, on cryptids, on, you know, Bigfoot and all these other things were, I don't know, my defense against the dark arts or whatever. You know, it was like, okay, if I know enough about Bigfoot, if he attacks our house, I've got it all. <laughs> I know. I love you coming on. up with strategies of like, right, all right, if yeah. Bigfoot comes in from the west, our, yes. we can attract a Mothman from the <laughs> east, and they will fight each other, and we will escape. Yeah, yeah, it's like my wife is always like, we had to have our zombie survival plan. What yeah. happens to the zombies? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this was my plan back then. But it, it was hmm. just, you know, it was just that really fun, quirky stuff. And I was young enough to be okay. Maybe this is real. Maybe it's not. You know, it wasn't a straight up horror novel. It wasn't a straight up. Uh, encyclopedia of facts it was like okay it's somewhere in between and it was just fascinating to me and I would get all those books out when they had a new one I'd take another one on UFOs and all that fun stuff and uh and it was just you know one of those things and then it stuck with me and I love I've, I've got uh two books out that feature cryptids in them pretty prominently actually three and it's just you know that that fun sort of mystery to them that you know mm -hmm. if they're not real you can put whatever attributes you want into them in some way you know um, and if I have a favorite, I think uh, because it's it's the museum is so close to us here in, in Columbus, it's the Mothman. Mm. Um, if you don't know the Mothman or if everyone else doesn't know the Mothman, he's a very large man that looks like a moth, I guess. Uh, a very large, small moth, a giant moth that looks like a man or a man that looks, I don't know which way you go. But um, basically he wasn't seen all that many times, but he, he was seen just before this bridge collapsed in West Virginia. So people started saying he was this, uh, you know, harbinger of, of danger and of, a warning to people. And so he's kind of endured since then. And they have a Mothman festival in this town, uh, Point Pleasant. They have a, a every year and it gets bigger and crazier and louder and weirder every year. <laughs> um, so that's a lot of fun. I've gone to a lot of other cryptid festivals where they kind of feature a little bit about Mothman, but there's a, a Bigfoot conference here in Ohio that's huge. A friend of mine started a, a conference near Cincinnati that's the Loveland Frogman uh, Festival, yeah, yeah. and it was big. So that was another one where it was like there was like one or two reported sightings back in the 60s and nothing else. And it's built up this reputation over years where it's a huge thing now. So um, I, I love, you know, it's just a lot of fun. It's one of those it things is, yeah. that people come to me when I'm selling my books at tables and some of them would be like telling me stories about how real my book is because they know about this attack by Bigfoot or, or, or whoever. And then there'll be other people who lean over and very quietly say to me, I don't believe in any of this stuff. And I'm like, Oh, okay, well, fair enough. It's you know, not you got required. It's not, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so it's a lot of fun to get the people who are really into it or just really, you know, whether they believe or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much fun. Sure. I think for me, I think my favorite cryptid, I guess, I don't know if you if you count this one as a cryptid, um, is the Jersey Devil. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that one. Yeah, I remember like either like reading a story or saw some kind of like old version of like ghost hunters but it was mm-hmm. with cryptids um on like the old a and e channel on yeah. and then they right. and then they very clearly like ran into a possum in the woods in new jersey <laughs> and they're like we found it we totally found it here and yeah. they're like even as like a little kid and i'm like you didn't that was a possum but okay that's you know it's still fun <laughs> to believe <laughs> I, I, my my son and i were i forget where we went we went to a conference once we were just sitting hanging out in our hotel waiting for something watching this ghost hunters marathon or that might just be what they show now just ghost hunters mm-hmm. but um something very clearly they dropped something and they freaked out about it that had to have been a ghost but when you look at the video you see it just fell out of their pocket so mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's what you want to believe and what you want to see i guess sometimes but yeah it's still a lot of fun to discuss it and uh, and, and you know pass those stories on for that kind of uh, story you know that kind of fun yeah absolutely and so going back to the writing a little bit, because I know you said it takes you quite a while sometimes. Um, like when does a story take shape? It's, uh, you know, it, it really depends on the story. When I look at uh, Gone Where the Goblins Go, like I said, that, that took at least a decade, if not more, of me just thinking this one image and then sort of like a like paper mache around a balloon. You put a little bit more and a little bit more. Mm. And sometimes that goes a lot faster. And sometimes, you know, you may take a month to put that together and then say, OK, I'm going to sit down. Or it may be one of those things where you have to write down that detail, you're going to forget it. But, you know, in in that case, you know, it took quite a while. And uh, for my first couple of books, and I, you know, when I'm working with a a writer, even with nonfiction compared to fiction, I I tell them that first book took me a long time because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I, I didn't have any classes other than a few fiction writing stuff here and there. I I never took a novel writing class before that or, or even seminars or anything. And so I was happy with like really slow progress. And, you know, and then, you know, it took, I don't know, a, a year at least for the first draft and then a year for the next draft. I was happy to sit down and write a few paragraphs and then sit on it for another month and then write a few more <laughs> paragraphs just because I, I had no ideas about sitting down and trying to explore that idea, sitting down and trying to, uh, you know, uh, map it out at all or trying to uh, outline it. So for me, you know, a story, even once I have those elements, it can, it, it took a long time. And then I kind of finally got the hang of doing a little bit of that outlining. Uh, it's, you know, the two schools of uh, pantser and plotter where, mm-hmm. you know, I was always a pantser and just sat down and wrote and whatever happened, happened. And now I do a little bit more of that plotting as I go, uh, as I start and then, you know, add to it as I go. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just gathering that idea for me can take a, a long time and, and it can be concurrent with another book I'm writing. And I'm like, I have to, I can't worry about that idea. I can't mess with that at all because I'm busy finishing this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it, it can be a, a good process. I, I wrote a book for, um, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, their, their publisher. And they, uh, they, they wanted a, a, a thorough, I forget what they called it, a, a, a thorough outline. They, they, they phrase it a little different, but. Um, and I really wasn't big on outlining and I ended up writing a 13,000 word outline for this book, which <laughs> to me is almost a book anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, so it kind of taught me to really gather those ideas and keep them a little more organized and, and be ready for when those next ideas hit me and, and, and not to shoo them away, but to make a note of them and, and, and sit them down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we look at, uh, when I first started writing Gone with the Goblins Go, it probably took 
six months to write it after like 10 months or like I said, quite a while of several years of just having that little idea in my head. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's how insistent that idea is for me is how much they tell you, hey, you need to write me. Because um, the other ones, yeah, they'll, they'll go a little bit faster. But man, it's yeah. collecting those ideas and figuring out how to paste them together, how to, those pieces fit um, before, you know, you, you can even start writing. So it, it depends on how you're organized, I guess. If your brain works like mine, it takes a little longer. Mm -hmm. So I have a question. Um, was there a notable difference? Because this happened to me from the first time you wrote a book how long that took, you know, because you said they took, you know, years and years versus sure, your yeah. second book, where for me, it was it's way shorter. Yeah, the first or one at least noticeably yeah. shorter. Yeah, the first two took quite a while, but it was noticeably shorter once I had really thought about it. You know, once I had really, like I said, sort of organized those ideas a little bit better than the first one, which was really completely pantsing it and just, mm -hmm. I'm just going to go where it takes me. And that didn't work out. <laughs> it took me two years or three years or whatever. The mm -hmm. second one was better. And then by the time I was writing the third one, even though I was doing a lot of pantsing with that, it was much faster. And I could, I, I could feel the rhythm of the book a little better and I could feel the characters a little better. Uh, then, you know, because if you, if you write the way I wrote the first one, so much space in there, it's hard to get momentum on those characters. You know, it's hard to, to, to feel their motives and keep that motive all the way through. Uh, whereas if you're writing it much quicker and you're writing that character, you didn't, you don't get out of their head really. I mean, you're kind of in it the whole time rather than stopping and starting. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, that's, that's a big deal for me, uh, that you're right. Getting much better at it. Uh, the book I had to write for, um, Burroughs uh, ended up taking. There, it had to be written in three months, so I oh, sat wow. down. So, so under a real uh, deadline, then yeah. I was under a real deadline, um, <laughs> and but it, you know it worked out because having a thirteen thousand word outline, mm. mainly I was just like connecting the the tissue there. It was like all, all the most of the bones were already in it. It was just sitting down and writing into that uh, outline as thorough as it was. You know. Yeah. So for I have another question because you. Talking about outlines, because I'm I'm very similar. Where there's a good mixture of like, okay, I have just enough of an outline to know that I have like ten poles that I know I got to reach in the story, and then the stuff happens between them. It's kind of up for grabs. Sure. Um, with such a long outline, though, for you, did it feel like at that point you were just kind of like doing a paint by numbers kind of a thing? By that time, yeah, it was really connect the dots. You know, it was you mm -hmm. know everything's in there, and you know there was almost nothing I had to think about because it had to be in this particular case it had to be approved by them since i was working in someone oh, else's right, property right, i was right, working right, a book yeah. that burroughs had written or a series that he'd written couldn't kill certain characters couldn't you know do this to this or you know couldn't stray outside this outline and so it had to be so thorough that they could say okay yes you can do this no you can't do that and, you know so it was you know outlined to an inch of its life so it was really like <laughs> really connecting the dots and expanding on the things i already had which um, still left some room for fun and, and some room for, you know, uh, fleshing out the characters uh, and description of the land and all that fun stuff. But really, you know, once that was turned in, it was that was it. So I was I had everything, you know, I had the plot and I had the story written. So, yeah, it, it really was just following that roadmap and getting it done. That's why three months wasn't too terrible. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so like myself, I work here, uh, we're sorry, we both work here at Manuscripts, um, and we're both working with like the newbie writers who are coming into the Accelerator program who are looking to write usually their first book most of the time. Um, and so I'm always curious to hear another person, what for you is, have you noticed is like the biggest hurdle for newbie writers when they're first starting out? 
Well, you know, since I write mostly fiction and we're working mainly with people who write nonfiction, it was a little bit of an adjustment. But I think the same thing for me, my advice for them usually is to make sure that they're they're reading what's out there in their genre. If you're writing a particular, you know, and a business book or a leadership book kind of reads the ones that appeal to you and see how yours is going to be different from someone else's. But I think by the time getting here, my biggest advice is to try and find a, a rhythm really quickly or a set aside a, a time every day or every other day to write and just get into that habit. It's so much easier. It would have saved me so much time on those mm -hmm. first two novels. If I would have just said every Tuesday or every you know Monday through Friday, I'm going to sit down and, and write for an hour or even for a half an hour and then build your time up. It really mm -hmm. would have helped me. And I think that helps just about anybody who's, who's starting out just to, to get your, your feet under you. You know, if you, if you're coming into this cold, it's really kind of tough to say, okay, wh what do I do? How do I do this? And you do it by, by just writing, you know, and, and if you mm -hmm. find you're not, you know, enjoying what you're writing or you're not going in the right direction to, you know, take a step back, but, but always writing, as you do it just to get that voice, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I, that's what I, I, I tell the same thing. I, I tell the same thing to writers um, where, you know, it having dedication and motivation and passion are all really, really, really handy tools to have when writing a book, but like consistency and discipline and carving out the same time, either every day or every week, to dedicate to the same task over and over again, um, that's going to carry you farther, I think, for for a lot of the book or anyway. Right, absolutely. And I, one of the one of the books I wrote, I, I worked for a proposal company, and every day it was like a twenty minute drive. I would write stuff in my head, go do mm -hmm. the job, and then I would go to a McDonald's every single day, and I took my laptop and wrote whatever I thought of in my head. And on the way home, I was thinking about the next thing I was going to write when I left the job. But I would get 45 minutes of writing it and maybe get a thousand words, but that adds up, you know, a thousand mm -hmm. words, oh, yeah. uh, you know, at a lunchtime is, is pretty good. But it was because I already had those ideas and I had that, like you said, that rhythm. I could sit down and boom, start writing and uh, leave off in a good place so I could go back to work. Mm -hmm. it, but it, it was that habit that, that got that book finished. It probably wouldn't have, it would have taken a lot longer. So definitely. Yeah. Good. So that leads me to my next question is sure. what are you working on now? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. You know, some of the first movies I, I watched, I remember Star Wars in the theater. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of things like that, Star Trek. And so I'm finally writing a, a, a full-out space, I don't want to call it a space epic, but it's full-out outer space, starship, shoot them up kind of, <laughs> kind of if, that, if that's all a category. Uh, I'm, I'm finally writing something like that. That, again, it's another story I've had in my head for a really long time. And I finally sat down and 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 uh, started outlining it and started writing uh, the first couple of chapters just to see because it's been with me so long. I'm like, is this really a project or is this just mm -hmm. something that's messing with me? And so far, it's it's going really well. So I'm excited to to sit down and do that. Uh, all my other sci-fi projects have been more mainly like Earth-based, fun, you know, mm -hmm. science and excuse me, steampunk that goes back to the Civil War and all that kind of fun sci-fi. But this is the first time I'm going to go into space and really, other than uh, the, the Edgar Wright's Burroughs one, but yeah, the first sort of space fantasy sort of things, Star Wars-ish sort of thing. Um, so this is nothing just because you were mentioning it here, because I've noticed this, and this is actually even something that Stephen King has put into his book of on writing, on uh, that the really good stories tend to stick around. 
right? Like, yeah. so if you imagine the, the like the beginning of a story or a, the vague outline of one, if it's really, really good, it tends to stay with you. At yeah. least that's what I've noticed. Is that the same for you? That's what I'm hoping, <laughs> at least with this one. But, but <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when, when I wrote Dawn Where the Goblins Go, I mean, like I said, that kind of stuck with me for a long time. And I, I really didn't write anything down for that for a, the longest time. And I really love what it ended up, where it ended up going. And it was so much bigger than this little weird idea that I started with. It kind of branched out and actually, you know, has some meaning to it and has some really interesting characters. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that those things that stick with you uh, eventually come around and, and, I think there's some of the some of the better ones. I think, and I'm not going to argue with Stephen King because you know he knows he knows things. So yeah, you know, you know a thing or two about. Yeah, he's done sure. a book or or four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Awesome. All right. Uh. Well, Matt, we are running a little bit out of time here at the moment. Right. So my final question, of course, is where can people find your stuff? Well, you can always find them at my website. Uh, that is mattbets.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I believe that is mattbets underscore rights or mattbets underscore author. I forget which one I ended up with on that one. But if you go to my website, mattbets.com, it tells you where to find all that stuff. And you can also probably find me every other month or so at a conference. If you're out and about, we might run into each other discussing uh, how to write and what to write and where to write it. Awesome. Uh, all right, everyone, that is going to do it for this episode of Beyond the Manuscript, uh, of course, powered by manuscripts itself. So manuscripts never write alone. I want to thank my guest, Matt Betts, one more time for coming on here. And hey, I hope you have a great day. Thanks a lot.